It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Santa's Little Helper and America's Recruiting Guru, Dan Tudor. And welcome to the show. And Coach, many of you have been in the position of wanting to start a program. Uh, what would it be like to create a program from scratch, start a new sport, uh, whatever it is that are the opportunities that come along in college athletics from time to time. Only a, a small percentage of coaches actually get to, to do it, to build a program from scratch, to really make it their own. There is an aspect of that, though, that happens every time a coach takes a new job. They're going to re sort of format a program based on their own culture that they want, their own vision. And that's part of the fun of college athletics and building a program. Um, got an email from our guest today, uh, a coach at a, a volleyball coach at a college who has the opportunity now to build a program um, under his name using the players he finds and building it the way he wants. Um, but there's questions around that. And I know that over the years, a lot of you have asked questions uh, around this whole idea of how do you build a program, whether that's starting a program from scratch or taking over a program and really making it your own. And so uh, we wanted to have a conversation about that and let you listen in. So let's meet the coach that we're going to talk to. And we're just going to call him coach for this, uh, for the purposes of anonymity and, uh, you know, and have him kind of outline why he reached out and then we're going to jump into the conversation and we want you coaches to listen to it and hopefully get something from it. So coach, thank you for, for being willing, first of all, to kind of share what you're going through with uh, everybody else around the country. Thanks Dan. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, like I was telling you a little earlier, big fan. So uh, thank you for doing what you're doing um, for all of us out there. Uh, um, so basically we were kind of talking a little bit earlier, um, we were saying about building a new program and how to kind of do it all, um, is kind of the situation I'm in. Um, basically the college, um, kind of sold me on a vision, um, that I'm currently working for, uh, sold me on a vision of come in and build your team from, from the ground up. Um, we have spots available. We have a community that really, really supports you. Um, but we do not have any players. Uh, we do not have an assistant. Um, and we're in the midst of looking for a new athletic director. Um, so as a first year head coach that goes, yeah, let's, let's get after this. All of a sudden um, the reality kind of kicks into it all. And you're going, I'm unfamiliar with the area to recruit in. I'm unfamiliar with the players. I'm unfamiliar um, with the club teams that are out there the, with the high schools. And where do you really start? And um, it's it, all of a sudden becomes you're sitting in the office by yourself and going, where do I start building from here? Right. Um, and I think a lot of coaches get in that position. It's exciting, like you just mentioned, to, the idea of building a team. I mean, that's why coaches get into coaching is because – I want to build a program. I want to make it mine. I want to develop a reputation and a, a name in, in a particular sport. Um, and then they sit in the chair and do exactly what you just described doing is, wait a minute, how do I do this? Um, so let me walk through a couple of things that, I mean, I would recommend based not on what I would say is my, well, how I would do it, but how I've seen other who have been successful uh, do it on a regular basis. And the first thing that a lot of coaches will say to me is if they had it to do over again, one of the things that they would put probably more time and attention to in, um, than they did originally when they maybe had the opportunity to um, start or build a program is define what your core philosophies are, what you, you know, sort of what your standards are, what you think is important, because that's going to differ from coach to coach. And what they have described, a mistake that they've made is I ended up as a coach, maybe as an assistant or a grad assistant, just getting started. I ended up adopting the same philosophies as the head coach I happened to be working for at that time. And I just kept those because, well, this is a way we, you know, that's the way you do it. And, and 
then slowly I sort of started feeling like it wasn't my program or I was going against my natural instincts, what I wanted to do, what was important to me. And by that time, it was too late to change because now I was already too deep into my career. So at the start, when you take over a program, when you start a program, you're a coach that gets the opportunity to start one from scratch. For you yourself, but, but prepare to share it with other people, I would say come up with your core philosophy, not only on the sports side, in your case, on the volleyball side, taking over a volleyball program, but you know what kind of athletes? So what is my recruiting philosophy? What will I do and not do? What will Who will I tolerate? And where is that line to, uh, to kind of say, I won't, you know, if, it's, if this player demonstrates A, B, and C, that would immediately you know, cross him or her off the list. Coming up with those things while you're sort of um, rational and not, not pressured by getting a class, um, that's when you want to, you want to do that. And then it also extends out to what kind of relationship or what, what is going to be sort of our brand with the fans that show up now school to school, you may not have a lot of fans in your particular sport, in your particular, um, you know, your particular college based on, you know, a lot of different factors, but for the ones that do show up, and actually I'd make the case that the ones that do show up, if it's in a small number, are even more important than if you coach in front of 50,000 people because they're really going to make or break your program. And what I mean by that is those fans, which sometimes are the parents uh, and or just people that have an intense interest in the sport that are from the community, um, they that could be your future donor. That could be the the person that that redoes the locker room for you. That could be the person that gets you, you know, the really cool alternate home uniforms that you know that you know coaches and programs like to have because that's what the kids like to have. And so those are the things that you don't want to sort of figure out on the fly. You want to come up with your philosophy and how am I going to treat somebody when they ask me to do something? What how am I going to answer that? And what are my, what, what are my parameters? And, and those, those types of things that seem small, and I don't think it takes a lot of time usually to do that, but I have heard from so many coaches that they wish they would have put more time into it in figuring that stuff out philosophically, who are they, what do they want their brand to be? Um, and you know, you have, you have, uh, especially in football, maybe just recently, because I've read a couple, you know, a lot of what, um, you know, the Patriots and Bill Belichick have done over the years has been based on a core philosophy that they do not deviate from. They will skip over or cut high profile players if they don't fit that culture. And if they don't fit that, those parameters, um, saw a you know, video of Nick Saban talking about recruiting and, who they, who will they take and who will they not take? And he talks about the fact that um, you, they're only going to recruit a certain type of player that, that makes, you know, in his case, it has to be, they have to exude excellence. They have to be somebody that from a leadership athletic ability standpoint, make everybody else on the team better. Um, now, again, Patriots and Alabama football, they can afford to do that. So that's what I'm saying. You have to develop your own strategy or your own philosophy for, for where you're at now, but also in preparing for what if you're at a different place in five years? What if you do so well at this school that the next school that pays double um, hires you? And it's a, it's a level and a situation that, that you would want to, to go forward in. One of the first things you're going to be asked about in an interview with an athletic director is what we're talking about here. What, so what are your philosophies? What, how do you build a program? How did you do it there at the school that we're potentially hiring you from? And again, that when you're being interviewed by the AD for the job you really want is not the time to figure out what your philosophy is and what do I tell that athletic director? So the first thing I would say is to develop that core set of philosophies. And even if you're you know, in the midst of, of a season, doing it at the start of a career um, really at any point, even if you've been, you're hearing this and you've coached for five or six or 10 years and you've never really sat down and done that. What kind of a program do you want? What type of athletes do you want? What do you want the interaction to be with the community and the fans? What, 
what do you want to be known for? Okay, if I want to be known for that as a program, how do we achieve that? What are the different things beyond just the athletic side that we need to uh, that we need to do? So that's that's I think job or or the the, you know, the core thing that you would want to do um, first. I'm going to pause there and ask you a question. That so now I've sort of laid out first thing is the the foundation, the philosophy. What are the other areas that for you? you feel like, okay, these are important. I need to focus and do well at these areas, or here's everything about starting a program in my mind centers around, you know, these X number of, of topics. Um, and I know you mentioned recruiting as one of them. Um, but what are some of the others? And we'll talk about each one. Um, so it just as a, as a funny side. So the director of our professional organization for our coaches, um, I, I recently heard her on a recent interview. They said, um, Coach, what still keeps you up at night? And she goes, I walk into a program and I'm into a gym and there's no team. There's no assistance. There's no schedules. There's um, there is no support. And that's what keeps. And I literally sat there. And as I'm listening to it saying the nightmare that you wake up to is literally my reality. <laughs> And so, you know, getting back to, to, to what you're saying, I mean, recruiting obviously is, is the big aspect. I need the team. I need a team to be able to coach. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the email that I get, you know, every week from, from our administration going, how many kids came this week, Nick? Or how many kids did you talk to? Um, and so recruiting is a big part. Uh, branding, obviously. Um, a unique situation where you're starting a team. So how do you build that brand and, and those relationships with the community? Um, and then ultimately it's kind of in the back of my mind, what is the legacy that I would like to leave here? If, if there is a chance to move on or, or what do I want to help these programs build so that they can continue to build year after year after year? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to sort of uh, title that as before, during, and after, because the before part we can say is recruiting. Before they get to the campus, you have to recruit them. During is sort of what do we want, uh, you know, sort of the brand to be. That's in, you know, in action, in season, as you're going through with that, that recruiting class, their four years at your school. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, what – what is the legacy I leave it also? And I, again, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm more focused on this than coaches are. What is the next stop for you and how do you build what you're doing now into that potential next spot? And again, there are coaches who stay at one place for 30 years. They're happy, fits them perfectly. No pressure to do that. But there are also many coaches who want to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to stop here and I want them to turn into this and then this and then this. That can't be something that is you leave to chance. It has to be something that's planned. So let's look at, we'll sort of break it down in those three categories. From a recruiting standpoint, one of the things that you have the opportunity to do, and really any coach that comes into a new job or starts a program, they have about a year to say, here's what's different, or here's who I am, here's how it's going to be. And there's really no um, there's no standard that they have to hold up to other than the fact that this is my vision. And do you want to, do you want to buy into that vision? Um, and I say you have about a year because after that, now you have a record to stand on. Well, now you fit, Hey, you finished eighth place last year in the conference coach. So you're talking about this vision, you know, that, that doesn't match with what I'm seeing on, on paper. And so you have to just be careful about the fact that, um, you, you have a short amount of time to sell the vision, uh, and then it becomes, you know, based on reality, you know, so here's why we finished eighth. Here's how, and, and, you know, how we need to change it. You can still set up your vision, but now there's, there's a record to stand on. So, and you have this limited amount of time to, uh, to do that with this, with this, you know, first set of one or two classes, um, from a recruiting standpoint, at most schools, um, and I'll, I'll exclude high-level Division One programs out of this comment, um, even though it might apply to you, the 
you know, there are, there are schools out there where admissions is driving it, where the athletic director is keeping track of it because they want to make sure that the roster build or that you're, you know, that school's contributing, you know, names and, and bodies to the overall admissions uh, count at the school, um, which is fine. That's part of what is, a school is there for and you're working for the school. And so that's, that's part of your job. Um, I, I think the thing that, that most coaches don't do right when it comes to recruiting purely from a number standpoint is they recruit too few kids. So if I'm, if I'm a coach and I, let's just, for example, say I need 10, 10 athletes in that class coming in. Um, I have a lot of coaches that will say, well, I'm going to seriously recruit 10 athletes. I might have 20 names or 25 names, but I'm going to recruit those 10 athletes because I don't want to offer too many because I don't want to disappoint them. Um, and I don't want to offer too few because I need the 10. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go after hard after those 10 and the, the cold slap in the face that they usually get very, very quickly is that not all 10 come around and then they try. So I get four commitments and then they're scrambling. And now I have to try to go back to the other 15 or 20 kids that I didn't really take seriously the first eight months that I was recruiting them. And now I want them. I need them. And they sense that. And meanwhile, they've decided to go somewhere else. You end up getting some fill-ins and you end up with a class of seven, but really only four good ones. You have three short. Now admissions isn't happy. Your AD isn't happy. And you swear, okay, next time I'm going to do better. Well, what most coaches try to do better is recruit those same 10 athletes again, that same number, but I'm just going to recruit them harder. And that's not what we want to do. So if you there's a pretty simple mathematical equation that we've figured out to be true that if I need 10 athletes in a, um, um, in a, in a class, I'm probably going to need to get at least 20 to campus. So about double the number to campus. If I need to get 20 to campus, that means I'm probably going to have to at least recruit probably 60, like a three to one ratio. So double when it comes to, to getting them to campus, um, triple what that number needs to be at the top. So if I need 10 athletes, I need to seriously recruit 60. What does seriously recruit mean? It means going through the messaging principles that we've talked about, you know, consistent contact, you running the process, um, finding out who's not interested and in getting them off the list and getting a new kid on the list uh, as soon as possible. And that typically those ratios year to year are going to average out about that, uh, you know, around that, um, that number. Um, yeah, it, and, and even at high performing programs, you know, at the highest level in division one, you know, national championship sports, those coaches lose more players than they get. They have to say no to more players than, than they say yes to, or they get told no more than the ones that say yes. So, if it's true there, I know it's going to be true at all levels. So don't under-recruit the number of kids. <clears throat> that doesn't mean they all get a promise that, that they can come and play for you. But it means that you're actively – what I described is that you as the coach, it's your responsibility to um, – it's your responsibility to convince them – sell them and make them feel like your program, your school is the place, the, the best place for them to be. And they'd be crazy not to want to come play for you. So I almost want, I want them. I want all 60 in that example. Um, I want them to feel like that's the program. I want to say yes. And again, most coaches would say, well, I don't want to go that far where they're going to be disappointed. Then when I have to tell them, no, yeah, if you're listening to this, um, that's that's not the way that you should approach it. Your job is to, if you're going to build a good program, your job is to get the best players that you want to say yes. But to do that, I need all my athletes in descending order, good to not so good, A's to B's to C's. I need them prepped and ready and wanting to be there and saying yes. That means I have to constantly recruit them. I have to... Uh, let them know what the plan is to, uh, um, you know, for them 
in our program and what I'm viewing them as go into a lot of detail. Um, and I need to make sure that they are ready to say yes. And then, and here's where the difficult part comes in. At some point, once you sign your 10 or once you get commitments from the 10 you really want that were above them on the list, then you have to go through and tell the others, Hey, you're, you're great. We did, you know, we were planning on getting you, but we signed our class. However you want to phrase it, you're basically saying we're done and you weren't in this class. I want to tell you right away because you're going to play somewhere and you're good, but we just didn't have enough room and we got our, all our commitments. And are you going to have some kids that are mad at you or ticked off? Absolutely. Are you going to have some parents that will be disappointed? Yes. But your job is to build a program. It's not to make kids who may or may not be a part of your program and their parents happy or um, once they get to your program, you're going to make those kids happy. Most coaches, you're great people. They do the right thing. They coach those kids up and they have a great experience. But there is that, that, that separation that will have to take place if I want to build a good program. Uh, and the reason I'm spending so much time on this, specifically for your question, is if you do this part, which is sometimes hard because you've got to get a, um, you've got to get the best athletes and you're going to, you're going to disappoint others that were planning on being there. Um, if you do this part, the other two are much easier. So if you recruit great players, it's amazing how good of a coach you become and what the season looks like and what your program becomes. Um, why do coaches struggle? It's not because they're bad coaches. It's because of what I just described. I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I don't want to overpromise or over-recruit. And I don't want you to overpromise or lie to them, but I want you to sell them on the idea that this is the place you should want to be so that, you know, again, theoretically, all 60 are hoping and waiting and praying that, that you pick them because they're waiting to say yes. And you get to choose the 10 that you want and everybody else. It's been great. You're great players. I know you're going to play somewhere. Let me know if I can help in any way. Um, but we're done. And that's the part that most coaches don't want to do. They don't want to face that, that really hard conversation. Because, look, they're good people. We no, Nobody likes disappointing somebody. At some point, though, there has to be that separation. Um, and to get the 10 that I really want that are going to make an impact for my program, using that example, I know I'm going to have to get 20 to campus means I'm going to have to recruit 60. And so, and there we are. So I can't take all of them, but I can't recruit only 10 because I know those all 10 won't happen. So for a lot of coaches, what hurt them, why they got fired, why they didn't get the job, why they have struggled is that I need 10. I'm only going to recruit 10. Oh crap. I only got four. Now I got to try to fill it in with some walk-ons that really shouldn't be playing my sport and we fell short again. I mean, admissions is mad at me again this year. And I don't have enough. So it, there's like this cascading, you know, um, ripple effect that's, that is bad for a program. So that's, that's recommendation number one. Did that, it's all pause here. Did that make sense? Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. Not easy, but this is, if you can lay that part of the foundation that is also built on the philosophy, you're recruiting players that match your philosophy then um, then that's good. If we move to the second phase, which is, you know, the before, during, and after, this is the during, you've got them, you're, you're in season, they're going to spend four years on your campus. What, what does that look like? Well, that's where, again, your core philosophies come out. Um, your coaching philosophy is going to be at play, obviously, and so that's going to play out, and that's um, for for all but one or two sports, I'm not in any position to dictate what a coaching philosophy should be or even what should be looking for because that would probably turn out badly. But um, knowing or having a vision of what you expect during a season and having a bit of a fatalistic view towards that, I think, is healthy. What I mean by fatalistic is that um, I, I don't want you to assume... I don't want you to assume that, um, you know, there won't be any, you know, any hiccups uh, along the way. I really good piece of advice that um, an author I read gave is that, you know, 
people who struggle in life, and I would apply this to athletic programs, um, think that, you know, they're shocked when things go wrong. They're shocked and they can't handle when something happens uh, that, that really derails what their dream is. And he makes the point, life is a series of problems. Just one problem after the next and how you handle it and your approach to those problems is whether you're, um, um, that, that really determines whether you are um, happy or not or, you know, and successful. So um, just anticipate that things are going to go wrong and plan for it. And obviously the more experience you get, you know, going through season after season at that, at, at your school and your program, you'll sort of anticipate what could go wrong. Uh, but things will go wrong. Um, just make sure you're planning for that. Uh, beyond that, you know, then it goes back to that core philosophy. So some, you know, some people when they've sat down and done their core philosophies uh, have, you know, it dictates what they do before and after games. So there's, I won't talk about the name, but there was a, you know, in one sport, a coach at a very large division one school who had horrible fan interaction with the game. Like there was no fans at, at their games. Um, the program was mediocre and he took over this program because nobody else wanted it. Basically. I think that's why he got the job. And he made a point of, and a lot of coaches have done similar things that before every game, he was walking through the stands and thanking people for coming to the game and handing out a piece of candy to, you know, if they had kids, that's what he spent 30, 45 minutes before the game doing is greeting the fans, thanking him for coming. And he started off with a very, very small group of, of fans. Well, by the end of his tenure, they were selling out. This is at a division one school. And everybody loved the coach. Why? Because that coach had taken some time to actually treat this as, you know, the, the place that he was going to be for the next 30 years. And I would encourage any coach, you or somebody that's listening, to have the vision that this is the job I'm going to have for 10 years. I'm not getting any other job, no other opportunities. There's no options. I'm going to be doing this for 10 years. And I think if you take that approach, that tends to drive, okay, so what do I want this to be? What I can invest the time now. I've given myself permission because I'm going to be here a while, so I should invest the time. Because it's not just about this one year. It's about, you know, three years, five years, ten years from now. I What do I want it to look like? Okay, how do I get there? Well, for him, we needed to increase our fan base. What did he do? He didn't go to his athletic director and say, I need you know, more of a budget to advertise around campus and around town. Can you buy me billboards? There wasn't a budget. So he had to just walk. He, he did what he could do, which was greet people, be genuine, be transparent. And so much good happened from that. And, and you know, if you, I'm using that as an example. Why I think it's a brilliant example that he demonstrated was in our society. Now, everything is virtual. Um, it's, very, you know, we, we don't get genuine interactions. When someone genuinely interacts with you and thanks you for something, it's almost jarring. It's so, wow. I mean, it, it has so much more of, a, of an impact now versus 20 or 30 years ago. There's an opportunity there. And so, again, that goes back to your core philosophy. I'm not saying that you or another coach should do that, but for him, he did it, but he did it with, a, with an understanding that this is a core philosophy. I want more fans. I want good community relations. I want donors. So I'm going to pour myself into building this one fan at a time. Thanking him for coming out, come to our next game, bring somebody, tell people we're here, you know, however you want to do it. And that could apply to almost every part of what goes on during a current season. Um, but if you can do that, then you watch what opportunities and what doors open within your program, but also, you know, again, that's something that on your resume. Wow, you went from 20 fans a game coach to 520 fans a game at, at a school that wasn't this big drop. How did you do that? If I'm the athletic director I'm interviewing that did that, and, and I'm looking at all the resumes with all the same coaching certifications, good win-loss records, I'm, you know, and it's down to these final five or ten candidates, but you've done that from a community standpoint, you're getting the job. So 
not only does it benefit you now, but it benefits you down the road if there's that opportunity. So the before is the recruiting. The during is what are you during, doing during a season, during a typical school year? And that extends to, um, to the athletes as well. Um, we worked with a, this is many years ago, but a Division I football team that was coming off a national championship. And, well, first of all, the fact that we got to work with them was interesting because you would assume that that was a program that, um, w- w- why do they need help? Why do, why do they need to even look at this? They just won the national championship. It's because that coach and the staff, but primarily the head coach, took the idea that we're always going to try to get better. We're, we want to look for everything, even if it's little things that, that we could do better, we're going to look for that. Um, for that thing. And so one example, one story that I like to tell is that um, they laid out all uh, during the off season, after their season was done, <clears throat> they laid out all the t-shirts and all the stuff they gave their guys, all the stuff that they got that year. And they went through piece by piece. What could have been better about that shirt? What could have been better about what is that the best material? Does anybody know anything? You know, is there another thing that they would like better? Um, they reviewed all the little trips and team outings that they took. What could have made that better? Um, and I was really, really impressed with how much detail, and they really focused on quality, like what the quality of the experience for the athletes. So, you know, that's at a high level. I don't think it's any different at a, at a smaller level as well, because when you do that, those kids go and talk to their other club teams, other high school teams around the area. They report back how it's going at, at your school or other schools. And it then opens, again, opens doors for you and creates this, you know, experience that's, uh, that's really good, you know, again, down to the trips. So we took them over here to this, to, to this place. We had this, it was fun, but could we have done better? Um, if they're doing that, I think that's a good example for for any program, whether you're a D1 football program or or something else, to uh, to be able to uh, to do. Um, I'll pause there because I'm doing most of the talking. Questions on that? Um, yeah. So when when we were talking about you know the branding and the experience, um, not only for the athletes themselves, but for the fans as well. Do you think that priority needs to be, okay, so I'm, I'm just coming off of this recruiting class, they're brand new, I have to really make sure that this experience for that first class is ec- almost accelerated because I need them talking. I need them, like you were saying, to be talking to friends, be talking to their former coaches because that's just only building on the brand. And once that kind of starts happening, like I, I don't want to say that, like that you wouldn't continue it for the next class, but like you kind of really go all out for that first class because you're trying to build now a brand and, and you want them to have all those nice things, but then you don't know if budget next year isn't there because you got the budget you did because it's a first year in a program. And, and how do you juggle that? Where would you say the importance kind of comes in on that specifically? Well, so the, the brilliance of, of how you asked that question was it kind of fits that philosophy that I described earlier. I want you to be a fatalist. I want you to assume that there are going to be things that are going to go wrong. Like I'm not going to get the budget I did my first year I was here. So I would want to build out um, different things that weren't budget reliant. So things that, that I just gave in that example of, you know, building the brand is also again about the experience Um you know, most, most sports, even at division one, they're not televised. They're not, it's not about, um, you know, I, I, as the athlete, I'm going to get this big national brand, but I, as the athlete, I'm looking for a coach, a program, a school where I'm going to have a, a really good, predictably, uh, successful experience, small school or large school. And that's going to mainly be centered around stuff that doesn't cost money. So how do the coach treat me? Where were we? What did we do before and after games? Did I feel like I was wanted and a part of something? Um, those are the things I think that I hear most athletes being most concerned with. And if you look at even things, all the studies we're doing with the transfer portal, why do athletes go into the transfer portal? 
I'm not seeing comments coming from athletes that, that we interact with clients that we are doing work with that, that would get a transfer athlete that said, yeah, the coach of that other school loved me and felt like I was a part of this huge, huge, amazing family. And, but I just, you know, I thought I'd come over here and see what this is like. I've never heard that. Usually it's, I didn't feel wanted. Coach was different than they recruited me. It wasn't the same. They lied to me. It's all relational back usually to the coach or the team. So if we're looking at like, so that would tell me that for this generation of athlete, it's not so much about, are you a Nike school or an Adidas school? It's, do I feel like the coach wants me and knows me? Or does it do, do I feel like um, they lied to me just to get me here and I'm just a number? That, that I think is far more important to this generation than all the stuff that I think we as coaches think that they think. Um, so, uh, again, then that extends back to recruiting. Um, I have never, ever, in 20 years of doing this, thousands and thousands of feedback points from student-athletes that were recruited have never heard once, I didn't like the coach, hated the team, I didn't feel connected at all, but man, that new locker room, holy, that's why I committed. No, I don't see that. And, and if we did, I wouldn't have a problem with saying to coaches, look, it's all about the locker room. It is all about, you've got to be the Nike school and not the Under Armour school. Cause you know, here's our stats on, on Nike versus Under, and they're talking about it all the time. They don't talk about it. What do they talk about? Do I feel wanted? Do I feel like I connect with the team? Does the team like me? I, again, I think we all have to put ourselves as adults back in that 17-year-old brain of in insecurity. I just want to be wanted. I don't want drama. Um, I want somebody who's going to show me what to do. You as the coach. And if I give them that thing, that's going to answer about 80% of their needs. And then the other, you know, will you have a kid transfer or quit because they missed home and they want to go close? Yeah, sure. That's not your responsibility. Um, a kid that academically can't take it and they have to drop out or they get kicked out of school. Not again, that's, there are certain things that you have no control over and budget is one of them largely. So I wouldn't build it around budget. I would build it around what are the relationships? So I can, as a coach, I can completely control everything I just described. And that then becomes part of my brand because frankly, during recruiting, the, the only brand that matters is you know, the first question you're going to, that an athlete that is getting recruited by you gets to ask once they're around the team is, so how's the coach? What, what's he really like? That's the question that's going to determine how recruiting goes. And so if you, if you base it on that, the philosophy that you have, you carry out that philosophy into an actionable plan and it centers around the relationship and, and I think you're going to be, you're going to be golden. And the third thing I'll jump in and, and just start talking about is the, um, you know, so we have this little before, during, and after. The after part is what kind of financial support and, and donor support do I need? What do I, what kind of community support do I need? And also what, what kind of community profile do we want? And also, is is everything I'm doing in the program building me towards um, towards taking this next step or having an opportunity? If I get the call to have something in place where I can step in and I know I'm going to be successful, because I'll bring that same system I developed at School A into School B, which is another reason that philosophy is really important because you're going to bring that. So I've had so many coaches that we work with um, say, hey, Dan, everything's going great. And I just got this call from an interview. Um, I don't have a resume cover letter. I, I need to show them stuff. What do I show them? Hey, all that should have been done years ago. You should have that in a Google file or however you want to store it. It should be a, a fluid document that's always getting updated, not just a resume, not just a cover letter, but who are you as a coach? What kind of systems did you have in place to be successful? Because most athletic directors, if we're talking about getting the next job and using a program that you start building to take that step with, um, it, it's all about, it's not about the X's and O's. It's not about your sport because most of you as, as coaches in your sport are really good 
and you know your stuff and you could jump to another school and be on the court or on the field or in the pool or whatever, and you're going to be able to coach those athletes well. Um, second, so we're not worried about that. The difference is for an athletic director at any level school, what they tell us is I want to hire a coach and I don't want to have to babysit them. I don't want them to be the, the unknown. So if I can hire a coach that and the X's and O's are all equal, but I had a coach that just brought me not only the resume and, and everything, but they brought me their recruiting plan. They brought me how they increased their donors, their fan interaction plan, um, all the administrative stuff that ADs care about. You are going to get that job so fast and you will be such a different candidate than other coaches um, that uh, it, it'll, it blows coaches away when they see how easy it is once you give that, uh, that athletic director or you're an assistant coach and you want to go work for another program. When that head coach sees everything you're bringing into the program, that's huge. So um, either way, you're, you're in a good position, but you're, you're doing that so that you are able to, um, to put yourself in that position. And even if you stay at that school, for the next 10 or 15 years and that's home and they, you know, at the end of your time there, they name the, you know, the court of the field after you um, doing what I'm describing makes your life in the community on campus with everybody so much better. You know, again, the brand, what, what is your brand on campus? What are our kids doing on campus that could demonstrate that we're a different team? Um You know, do you show up and root for, um, you know, the baseball team when they're playing? baseball team would love that because they hardly get anybody at their games they would love it if you know your entire team showed up and you just did that for you know team by team um yeah so there's all sorts of things that don't require money it's just time attention and you know how do we demonstrate that we are we're the good people on campus that are gonna do more than is expected of us um and it's focused on the relationships and and the social part i think that's good. And the last thing I'll say is that everything that you do in that community with the fans, you will uncover people who will financially support your program so that you don't have to worry about the AD giving you money for it. You've got a, somebody on campus or somebody around town, rather, that is a supporter of the program because they love what you're doing. They're behind you. And you only need one or two of those to usually change the world that you operate within on campus and within that program. And they're out there. And we just have to interact with them. So that, that's sort of that before, during, and after aspect of, of building, uh, building a program. Um, as we start to wrap up, what are the areas that we didn't cover or there are things that maybe were the loose ends that we should touch on? So um, let me go back to the first um, kind of topic uh, that we were talking about and talking about um, defining your core philosophy. So as a first-year head coach um, starting up a program, um, I've kind of tried to work through some philosophies that I'd like to keep. So as the season, as it gets later on in the recruiting season, and if I'm not seeing the results, how do you, what strategies would you implement to really hold yourself accountable when, you know, admissions is looking at you and, and you're not getting the athletes and you're starting to hear back from everybody and you're starting to get up to that um, recruiting deadline that you had set previously and, and just the weight of the world's coming down on you. Um, what strategies uh, would you implement to just, you know, besides the obvious hold yourself accountable, but how do you right. really hold yourself accountable? That, that is such a great question. So your philosophy is, is that, that is the, the goal you're building towards. Um, there's also some realities. So for instance, like at, at most schools, there is an admissions component to this that we need you to bring in X number to sort of do your part for each class. And, and I'm at a school, if, if I'm at a school that, that has that as a requirement, I need to meet that requirement. That has to be part of, um, you know, how I, uh, how I build the program. Um, if you go to an extreme, I've worked with one coach for a while that was at a school who intentionally kind of said to that coach, 
bring in X number. We don't care if they stay. We just need to show that we're getting that number. Now, that coach, it got to the point where the things they were asking him to do did not fit his, his personal philosophy. He left the school. So there is that balance that at, at everything except a high-level Division One is probably going to be reliant on athletics processing as part of the camp that they needed to recruit every year. So I would say that's an important part of your job. Um, but I, as a coach, if I was said that, I would need to segment out a group of athletes. Maybe it's four, maybe it's five of those 10 using that past example that say, you know, these are developmental kids. They're not a priority, but they want to be here. I need to recruit them. Great. And now I recruit and you know, really pay attention to these five that we really need to, to have on the court. So you have to take into account everything that your campus is requiring of you because you work for them. You, you know, it is your job to, to build the program around, you know, uh, around what, what they need. Uh, so I, it's that it's finding that balance for sure. And let me also ask you this, just kind of a follow-up to that too. So when you're starting a new program, you have a certain amount of scholarships, um, whether it be at a two-year or a four-year. Um, you're starting the program. They say, here's everything. You got all of these. How do you selectively start going, well, what do I need to put away for next year? Or what do I need to put away for, you know, in three years and not just sit there and just do the, and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and just trying to, cause you're, you want to bring them in. How do right. you start to compartmentalize that? A lot of different philosophies on, on how to do that. If you ask five coaches how they do it, you'd probably get five different answers. Um, here, here's what I know is that if we're look, going back to how do we attract the best athletes? I know the best athletes sometimes don't need a full scholarship but they want something. So I've had coaches that would say we have you know, the equivalent, let's say of three scholarships for our team every year for incoming players every year. And um, I'm going to give it to three great kids, but I need another five and I need them to walk on. Well, what I might do is take one of those three scholarships, split it up into very small scholarships for the other five, because I know what we get back from student athletes in terms of feedback about the you know, decision-making process, um, they really want to, and the parents of, in many sports want to be able to say to other parents that they know he's on scholarship or she's on scholarship that, oh yeah, they gave her a scholarship. Um, that could be a book scholarship. It could be a, you know, a very small amount, but there is uh, that, social need to be able to say, yep, all this time and work we put into the club, the high school, that coach, what it all paid off. And a lot, you got a scholarship. They don't go into detail that it's only, you know, a small amount of money, but it's, it's something. And, and also again, going back to, you know, the 17 year old mindset, well, three of my teammates or three of my friends are getting scholarships to go. So I don't want to tell them I didn't get a scholarship. I want to have a signing ceremony at my school. I want to sign something. And <clears throat> so that's something else that right now we have to account for as the adults going through this process. So I would take them and give them opportunities to um, have something small so that, so that they see that you want them. And it's interesting. Um, sometimes you offer a partial scholarship and um the athlete, the, the, I'm sorry, the parent of the athlete might come back to you and say, well, you offered X, but that other school offered X plus a thousand dollars. Why do you like my daughter a thousand dollars less than they do? That's how they think. And so we have to explain to them the realities that, look, we have this number. I'm splitting it up. She's really good. Um, the, the phrase that I encourage coaches to use is that, you know, if we had a full roster of full scholarships, she would be getting one. I want to give, she deserves a full scholarship. I can only give this. This is, and it's the most I can give. And again, once parents understand that, it kind of gets them out of that mindset of, you know, comparison. Um, for the athlete, I'm, I'm always a fan of giving them something because I know that's the thing that keeps you in the game. 
There are situations, though, where the athlete doesn't deserve it. You don't have it. And so we have to, you know, have uh, you know, the walk-on talk. And there's certainly a lot of kids that will, um, will have that, you know, that perspective and they'll be okay with it. I would say for those kids at the lower level, I need to, as the athlete, understand how I can make some scholarship money. Can I earn my way into that? What if I work really hard and become a, a player that gets minutes um, on the court or on the field or whatever the sport is? Is there a, a method, you know, to letting us, um, you know, have some scholarship money? If there is, if that's part of your system that you built out, explain that. Um, I think especially now in sort of the environment we're in, in the fall of 2022 um, with the economy and inflation. And these are now, you know, there's always been the money aspect of deciding which school I'm going to go to. Um, now we've just tripled it because so many families are really feeling, beginning to feel the crunch. And I don't think, I, I think that's going to continue for a little bit. At least that's what financial forecasts are, are saying. If you're listening to this podcast episode in 2024, you can look back and see if we were right. But, um, but anyway, that's a, that, that's something you just have to understand that they are, there is this whole idea of, do you value me as a coach the way that other coaches do? And are there opportunities to, to basically earn my way into some scholarship money? Um, lastly, Dan, yeah. um, I wanted to ask um, just on on kind of a, a quote that you were that you had mentioned about uh, the, the people who struggle in life are, are shocked when problems occur. Yeah. So if I want to get ahead of that, you know, not only just, you know, in, in the recruiting, in the, the branding and the betterment of the team, what is something that I can do today that would set me up to, to kind of have that extinguisher, if you will? What are, what are some philosophies or some techniques that I can kind of have in place that when that stuff does happen, I can go back and go remind myself, okay, remember here, we, we said this, okay, it's going to be all right. All right, let's move on. Right. Well, so every coach that's listening to this, and you could probably do it very easily too, you know, probably if, if I said, what are the top three disaster scenarios that could play out there? And it could be a budget thing. You know, again, you, you named that example of what if the budget they gave me the first year as a new coach isn't the one they give me the year after that. Um, they promised me the new locker room, but now it's two years later and they don't give me the new locker room. I'm going to assume the worst. Um, so. So everything is going to require a very specific answer to that. Um, so I answer this in two ways. The first one, if it's, we're talking about big things like that, like a, a budget situation, um, I'm going to plan for that. So that would mean that I, I'm going to prioritize trying to find some sort of outside donor that could be a part of our program before I need them. Uh, and, or, I'm going to start talking and developing that. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do talks at the local Kiwanis club, lions club, you know, whatever the local clubs are, they're always looking for people to talk. And those are usually the community leaders that have, you know, they're being able to, to support you and the coach as a coach and, and the program. So you can certainly do that. Um, if it's something where uh, it's more of a, um, ongoing, you know, oh shoot, I, I'm, you know, I, I know after three years, on average, I lose two kids mid season every year for whatever reason. If I begin to see that trend, I'm not going to be surprised when it happens then the next year because that's what's happened the last three. So already, even if it's a new program, you might be able to identify some things that, yep, this is something I'm always going to be dealing with. Instead of getting frustrated by that, how do I plan for it? How do I? eliminate it or at least mute it enough to where it's not something that makes me want to quit my job and leave the school. Um, that's, you know, that's the way I would approach that is I is identifying the problem, not being afraid to say, yep, this is going to, this is going to happen. Um, Cause we do it all the time as coaches. We always plan for disaster scenarios. We have a game plan. If this doesn't go right, then here's what we're going to go to. Um, 
do the same thing on your, in your administrative life on campus and the recruiting life on campus, you know, in recruiting, guess what? There are going to be some parents, a handful every year that will lie to you and say, you're in our top five. She wants to come there. And the optimistic, maybe unrealistic coach says, great. And put a check mark by her name on, on the whiteboard in my office. And they're shocked when the parent lied to them and they then commit to another school two months later. Um, if I begin to see a trend of I'm going to lose about three recruits that said, yes, I'm going to say I need to over recruit now by about three, two to be safe, but maybe three. And um, so I'm, I'm always anticipating what the problems are so that I'm not shocked and disappointed that life isn't perfect on a college campus uh, or in my program or in athletics or in the world. I'm going to be realistic about it and, and understand that, when you make the jump to the next school, um, the same problems are going to be there. And in fact, they're intensified because the money's more, the attention is more, um, you know, the threat of being fired is, is greater. Like the, it all expands. So um, just going with a realistic approach and build out, build out scenarios. That could also be, you know, we talk all the time with coaches um, who face the same objections about their school you know, the same three or four things that they always seem to every ask. Well, if I'm that coach, I'm going to figure out what the answers are in advance. And I'm going to probably go out in advance of them telling me it's an objection. And I'm going to just explain, look, we have a lot of kids who think this, 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 and this. Well, let me tell you the truth and begin to, before there are even objections, begin to answer those instead of hoping, oh, I hope they don't ask these four questions again, um, you know, because I don't want to have to answer them. I don't want to lose them. No, we're, let's anticipate that everybody's thinking the same thing. In every college, every program, every coach has something that's a negative. Um, if it's Alabama football, how am I going to get playing time? So many good athletes, they have an answer to that. So that's the same thing that that you know you should develop is what are the answers to all my to all these different problems that crop up, so that I can answer. It doesn't mean that it's always going to work, but I've given it my best. And now we, we let that prospect decide or we let the athletic director decide or my assistant coach decide um, if that's true. And, and I know I've done my best. Can I ask one last question if you have time? Yes. Um, as a new program recruiting, at what rate would you hope for transfer recruits as opposed to bringing in that new freshman class? Um, should you put an emphasis on trying to find some type of senior leadership, um, people that have been around in your sport for a little bit longer that can maybe come along with your vision? Or would you put more emphasis in a freshman class coming in as kind of like, this is my starting class. I, I'm so excited to get to work with them for the next couple of years and, and grow, grow that way. Yeah. And that's one of the things, Phil, going back to the very beginning, <clears throat> philosophically you have to answer that there is no right answer there's no wrong answer there's programs now that that would you say we're going to allocate half our scholarship money to transfers because i can you know it's just now the culture you know transfer portal um there's others that would say we're not going to do that clemson football since we're talking about football clemson football Davo sweeney you know you know has said you know at least up to this point we are not going to, to do the transfer portal because I don't want to break the promise to my guys I brought in here that, you know, they're going to have their opportunity and build and they haven't done that. They haven't, you know, they, they've stuck to that. So philosophically, there's no right wrong, but it's just establishing it and saying, here's what I, here's what I want. And if, if I can take, you might say, oh, I could take one or two kids and bring them in and they are immediate fixes at positions that makes a compelling reason to do that. You know, the head football coach at Clemson has some luxury to say, I think I can weather this out and not have to change. Um, you might be different. So every coach has to, has to develop their own philosophy. And that's why at the very start of the conversation, it's so important for you to decide what's right for you as a coach. Cause ultimately there's no right or wrong. It's just what you want and how you want to build it. Thank you, Dan, for, for all your time today. I mean, I, I 
I know I have so many notes written down and I'm, I'd be excited to listen back to this and see what I missed and, and what I need to, to keep working on. But I just want to thank you so much for taking your time to, to speak to me today. I, I really do appreciate it. No, Coach, it was fun. You asked so many good questions. I was thinking, well, it might be about a 30-minute conversation. I think we're up to almost an hour. So that, that means it's, it was a good good talk, good conversation. It could also mean that I rambled a lot, which, which so, um, hey, for thank you for the comments. And for anybody that's listening still, <laughs> they made it all the way through to the end. Uh, thank you for listening to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. We'll be, more, be back with more uh, episodes uh, ongoing. So keep listening. Tell people about it that you coach with and uh, thanks again for listening coach and go build your philosophy and go build your program. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2022 through 2023. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com and do us a solid coach. Rate and review our podcast right now. Plus it wouldn't kill you to tell your fellow coaches about it, would it? So do that too. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.